On this Valentine's Day weekend edition of the Cigar Dave Show, I called it last week about the Brian Flores NFL lawsuit. I am right once again. The Canadian Freedom Convoy not going anywhere soon. Good. And BYOC, bring your own cup because the latest challenge to supply chain issues involves a cardboard cup. This is the Cigar Dave Show presented by Davidoff of Geneva and their Avo portfolio of cigars, including the Avo Heritage. Crafted through centuries of tradition, Avo Heritage was developed for the cigar connoisseur seeking a fuller-bodied cigar with strength, complexity, and impeccable smoothness. Savor every note of the spice-laden Avo Heritage, available at DavidoffGeneva.com. And by Gurkha, the world's finest cigars, including the new Gurkha Revenant, the five-country fusion of exceptionally aged tobaccos will immediately jumpstart your senses for a cigar journey that only Gurkha can deliver, offered in both Corojo and Maduro presentations. Fire up a new Gurkha Revenant today. Visit GurkhaCigars.com. This is the Cigar Dave Podcast with The General. Valentine's Day weekend, and I am sure you are getting ready for the what I call the Super Bowl for Dames on Monday. If you have a harem, if you've got a harem of one, you've got a mistress, a wife, whatever the case may be, Monday is the ultimate Super Bowl experience for them. Super Bowl is Sunday, but for dames and chicks, it is Monday. You better be prepared. Now, for those of us that have large harems, the key is make sure you are out of town so you have a legit excuse to say, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be available. I'm not going to be here. That way, you don't have to worry about buying 32 gifts or 32 dinners with your harem. Always find a way out. But if you're married, you have no choice. You better deliver. Otherwise... You are in trouble. You will not be sleeping in your own bed. And if that's the case, this is why I say you should always have a guma. Always have a mistress on the side. Very important. Just remember that quick fact. You'll thank me down the road. As always, I extend to you my long-ash greetings and salutations. A long-ash snappy salute. Semper delictatio. Always pleasure. Long live the alpha. Make masculinity great again. Screw the enemies of pleasure. Stand with the Canadian Freedom Convoy. Hashtag Save America. As always, it is your global five-star general, alpha male and chief front and center from Command Center Alpha in the cigar city of Tampa, Florida. Now, first up, last week we talked at length about the Brian Flores lawsuit. Initially, I spoke about it on our Brother Bold Alpha podcast, and I went through every element of the lawsuit. And then I had some additional thoughts that I spoke with you about on last Saturday's Cigar Dave show. Some thoughts that I missed that I may have overlooked that after letting it stew for a few days, some other thoughts congealed in my mind that I expressed with you. And one of them was the fact that Brian Flores is just a mere pawn in this lawsuit. He went on to say that in his lawsuit that, or his lawyers drafted, but he had his name on the lawsuit, so he should be aware of what is in it, talking about how the NFL owners are a bunch of 
slave masters. They, 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 they operate it like a plantation. They sit in their luxury sky suites, smoking cigars, drinking fancy wine, looking down at all their black slaves on the plantation. And when asked about it, he had no answer. He didn't even know why it was in there. And that's what I said. If somebody is so concerned about minority rights and black representation in the coaching ranks, in the management ranks of the National Football League, in the ownership ranks of the National Football League, wouldn't it behoove you to maybe hire several black or minority attorneys? No, there are two white guys, two white attorneys, white privileged attorneys. Let's talk like a liberal. Ooh, I feel so just like a liberal right now. White privileged attorneys sitting there in all the interviews while Brian Flores is trotted out. And last week I stated to you that what I believe this is really about is black ownership in the NFL. Let's take a listen to what I said last week. But mark my words, this is a play to, number one, try to get Steve Ross forced out so that magically a black ownership group can come in and buy the Dolphins. Same thing with the Broncos. You watch. The league will now start to press and say, okay, we need to try to get a black owner here. It doesn't look good. That's exactly what they're doing. So Brian Flores will probably, you watch, whatever ownership group, they'll say, well, Brian for what you did, for risking your career, we're going to give you a 5% ownership stake in the team. Watch what happens down the road. Once again, my prediction is correct. Headline this week in the New York Post, the NFL is begging the United States of America's richest black man to buy the Denver Broncos, according to sources. Robert F. Smith the nation's richest black man, who is 59, has an estimated worth of $6.7 billion, is the founder of Vista Equity Partners. He is currently in the middle of raising a $20 billion fund for his Austin, Texas-based buyout firm. And Roger Goodell, the commissioner of the National Football League, putting insane amounts of pressure, coercion, for Robert F. Smith to bid on the Denver Broncos. There is currently a family issue within the the Boland family, the daughters, the descendants of Pat Boland, who passed away, I think about five, six years ago, relatively young, of dementia, uh, Alzheimer's. He had, I think, four or five different daughters, maybe more, maybe less, but it's at least three, probably in the four area. And there is a by by a buy-sell provision, whereby when the team, uh, if they don't all agree on how to operate the team, then it has to go to auction, it's going to be sold, and now one of the daughters wants to bid on the team, and the rumors are that John Elway, as well as Peyton Manning, would be hooking up in an ownership group. You're talking about probably a $4 billion purchase price. What is amazing is that in 2018, four years ago, the largest price ever paid for a National Football League franchise was by David Tepper, who purchased the Carolina Panthers for $2.2 billion. I remember when Terry Pagula bought the Buffalo Bills for $1.4 billion, 
and Donald Trump at the time offered a billion. He tried to steal the team. And after Pagula bid, paid $1.4 billion, Trump said he overpaid. And Pagula said, no, actually, I think I got a good deal. It looks as though, look, I love President Donald Trump, but Terry Pagula had the last laugh. NFL franchise valuations going through the roof. Now the Denver Broncos. The estimate is the sale price could be in the $4 billion category. So Roger Goodell now putting pressure, trying to woo Robert F. Smith, even though the rumor is that Amazon founder Jeff Bezos may also be a bidder on the team. But now the NFL wants to show, look, we're open to everyone, and they are. If Robert F. Smith wanted to bid on the Broncos or any other team that has come available or will come available, he may do so. The NFL wouldn't discriminate against him as long as he has the purchase wherewithal, the financial wherewithal to purchase the team. League rules require that an owner put no more than $1 billion in debt on a team. That may change as the valuations go up. But right now, you can't put more than a billion in debt on the team. And as the primary owner, you have to put down at least 33% of the equity. It's a big check. So if you pay $4 billion for a team, you're going to be the majority or the, the controlling shareholder for 33%. You got to put down about a billion four, a billion five. That's a lot of cash. You will recall that if you're not familiar with his name, this may jog your memory. Back in 2019, Robert F. Smith was giving the commencement address to the graduating class of Morehouse College. He, at the time, made a surprise announcement saying he was going to pay off all the student loans of the entire graduating class, an amount equal to $34 million. And that, of course, generated tremendous buzz. But once again, I called it. Brian Flores is nothing but a tool, a stooge. I don't believe for a second that Brian Flores immediately had the idea to say, I'm going to go sue the National Football League. Now, these two attorneys that have been working with Flores, they are known for suing big companies. They sued Fox when there was supposed sexual discrimination. They've sued other big companies. So the two white attorneys are using the black former head coach as their tool. And one of the predictions I made is you watch, because Brian Flores' career is done. He was in the running for the New Orleans Saints head coaching job, the Houston Texans head coaching job. I think he probably would have gotten the Houston Texans coaching job. Sergeant Steve, what do you think? I believe that with his association with Nick Casario, the general manager of the Texans, going back to New England, I think that Flores probably would have been the front runner to get that job. I thought he would get it. Yeah, but you go ahead and file suit against the NFL. It's kind of, a, it, not kind of, it is a bad look. H- how do you hire a guy that's, that you're, that's suing not only the league, but you as a component member of the foot, National Football League? It, you just can't do it. So Flores screwed the pooch. He's essentially put the kibosh on his career. And now what will happen is they will say, well, we'll settle this lawsuit, and here's how we'll do it. 
yes, we're going to have, we want more black coaches and more black executives and more black owners. And that's what Roger Goodell right now is feverishly working at. He needs a black owner. And when he gets a black owner, part of the deal will be, look, we need this lawsuit to go away. Give a percent or 2% to Flores and let's call it a day. Now, I want you to think about something for a minute. At a $4 billion valuation, 10% would be $400 million. 1% would be $40 million. I will guarantee you, somewhere along the line, they will find a way to give Flores 1%, 2%, some small percent, but when you look at how much that 1% or 2% would be worth, that's a financial windfall for Brian Flores. And you watch the same thing with the attorneys. They will have their hands stuck out as well. I called it last week. It's about these two white attorneys trying to push for black ownership, getting their cut. Flores will get his cut. And then everybody will live happily ever after. And Roger Goodell can still say, hey, look, we need Desert League. We've got to get more black owners and black head coaches. Here's what I believe. And I said this last The Rooney, Rooney rule is obsolete. Because now all you are doing is essentially looking for a black or minority du jour. Who's the minority or the black coach that we can just interview, even though we have a front runner we want? The league says we've got to interview for head coaching positions two people, two minorities, two black candidates. How about just interviewing the best candidates? And if they are black, a minority, they're white, whatever it may be, Give everybody an equal opportunity to interview. That doesn't mean you're going to get it. Mike McDaniel, the new head coach of the Miami Dolphins, I happened to watch his press conference. And the reason I did is as a Buffalo Bills fan, I'd like to know who the enemy is, who the enemy head coach is. Very impressive. He's definitely a little bit of a squirrely guy. Definitely Yale graduate, smart guy. Definitely a different cat. Marches to his own drum. That's okay. He's not your typical NFL football coach automaton who just like Bill Belichick or other coaches just answers a question with no humor and tries to give as, as little uh, background or a little, as little insight into what they're thinking. This guy was actually pretty straightforward and pretty open. I thought he was kind of a refreshing personality. Now, his father's black, mother's white, but he's very light-skinned, and somebody asked him about that. And he said, well, do you identify as black? Do you identify as biracial, multiracial, whatever? And he said, you know, there's a lot of people that have been characterizing me as one way or the other. He said, I identify as human. And I happen to have a black father and a white mother, but I identify as a human being. That's it. Bingo. That's what it's all about. If somebody is competent, if somebody can do the job, you should get hired. They should get hired. If not... They should not get hired. You have to have a comfort level. And I keep hearing over and over about the offensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs. Over and over and over. He hasn't gotten an opportunity. 
He hasn't gotten his chance to become a head coach, and he should be. He has been the offensive coordinator for the last four years. And Eric Bieniemy is is well regarded. And Eric Bieniemy, how does this man not have a head coaching job? Let me give you one bit of analysis. The new general manager of the Chicago Bears, whose name escapes me. Wait, let me look it up real quickly here. Is it Ryan Pace? I can't remember his, his name. Uh, Ryan Poles from the Rochester, New York area, upstate Western New York originally. Ryan Poles. Ryan Poles is a minority. He's black. He spent numerous years in Kansas City. He worked directly with Eric Bieniemy. So Ryan Poles, black. Eric Bieniemy, black. Both worked together for many years. Ryan Poles didn't even interview Eric Bieniemy. Didn't hire Eric Bieniemy. Now here's a guy that worked together with Eric Bieniemy that every broadcaster and every media type says, oh, the man is a genius. The man is an offensive guru. How is this man not hired yet as a head coach? There's got to be some racial component. Well, if the black personnel executive that worked with Eric Bieniemy in Kansas City for many years, who's now the general manager in Chicago, deemed that he didn't want Eric Bieniemy, you can't say it's racist. Maybe it has something to do with competence. I don't know. And if Eric Bieniemy really wanted to advance his career, he should get under out of the shadow of Andy Reid, the head coach who primarily calls the plays, and find an offensive coordinator gig where he runs the show, where the, where the head coach is a defensive-minded coach. He becomes the offensive coordinator with full game planning and game play calling activities. If that's really how he wants to get out of the shadow and advance his career as an NFL head coach, to become an NFL head coach, that is what he should do. He just resigned for another year under Andy Reid. I think that speaks volumes. Guy that worked with him, same skin color, can't be accused of racism, becomes the general manager of another team in the NFL and decides not to interview Eric Bieniemy. Now, the Super Bowl is this weekend. I am still perturbed, and not over the fact my Buffalo Bills are not playing in the Super Bowl. I would have liked to have seen a Cincinnati-Buffalo Bills matchup at Highmark Stadium in Orchard Park. Now, Sergeant Steve, you are from Cincinnati. You are a big Bengals fan, so I know who you are rooting for. The question is, how excited are you about the hip-hop halftime show featuring Mary J. Blige, Dr. Dre, and Snoop Dogg. I like the, I, I'm excited about it. But that's my era of music. Okay. Um, I know you, you don't know, like it, but. Yeah, I think, I thought the best halftime show, I thought when, when, uh, let's see, The Who was on, I thought they were pretty good. I thought when, um, Oh, what? Uh, hold on, it's it's escaping my mind. I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to go back to all the. Uh, let's see. Tom Petty was great. Mm-hmm. What about Bruce Springsteen? I'm not a Springsteen fan. He did a good job, but he, I'm not a Springsteen fan. Uh, trying to remember who else was on there. I, but to me, I, first of all, I think the halftime is way too long. 
these 25-minute, 30-minute extravaganzas are way too long. Because I think, to me, I want to watch the game. As, an, as a football purist, give me the game. If you want to have an extended halftime instead of, say, 12 minutes and go to 18 minutes, fine. But by the time they're done, the setup and everything, it's 30 minutes. It's way too long. Now, I'm not a Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre fan. Mary J. Blige has some you know, good, good tunes. But they were talking about the fact all the performers had a media session. No questions were allowed to be asked. But they had a media session whereby they talked about it's now that the NFL was late to the party embracing hip-hop and vowed that their Super Bowl halftime show would create more opportunities for the genre. So for a certain segment, for younger people, maybe for another segment, they like the hip-hop, okay. Not my cup of tea, not my thing. I'm not a rap guy. There's some hip-hop that's okay. But again, I'm not a big Snoop Dogg fan. And by the way, Sergeant Steve, didn't you just tell me Snoop Dogg's in a little bit of a problem? Uh, yes, been accused of sexual assault and battery and some sex trafficking. Sex trafficking? When was this from? 2013. And uh, has he been charged or has he been accused? Accused. What's the story? Accused. Okay, by how many people? How many uh, women? A former dancer for he and Magic Don Juan. Sergeant Steve, you know you are now going into hallowed ground. Do you know who Bishop Don Magic Juan is? Yes. Who? The greatest pimp of all time. That's correct. The greatest pimp, not only in America, but the world has ever seen. His famous quote, green is for the money and gold is for the honey. The great Bishop Don Magic Wand. And if you've never seen Bishop Don Magic Wand, do a search. You got to see the guy. I am looking right now at pictures of the great Bishop Don Magic Wand. The man has a unique sense of style. As he says, he's got his bitches, he be hoeing. Now, there is a very well-known documentary called American Pimp that was, I think it was right around 1999-2000. I actually first saw it, I think on HBO, and I ended up going out and buying the DVD because it was so entertaining. And I'll never forget one of the... There were many scenes. Of course, they showed all these pimps, one in Washington and New York and Oakland and L.A., driving around in their fancy Cadillacs with the dice hanging, you know, all sorts of let's very colorful caddies, if you will. But I'll never forget, they had an interview with Bishop Don Magic Juan. His, they had Bishop Don Magic Juan in his mother's kitchen, and his mama was being interviewed while Bishop Don Magic Juan was there. And they said, well, what do you think about your son? Pimping and being, you know, a pimp. She said, I always knew Bishop, I, she didn't say Bishop Don, she goes, I always knew Don one day, he was pimping girls from the time he was five years old. I always knew he was going to grow up to be a well-known pimp. I, we, we knew back then he had girls all around him, and he is today, that's why he's the number one pimp. Now here's, the mother was, like, proud, was thrilled that her son, Bishop Don, magic one, was a pimp. And I'm watching, I had to re-watch it again. Most mothers would say, oh, my son, I can't believe he ended up in this lifestyle, this criminal activity, pimping women, and, 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 and so demeaning to women. Oh, no, no. Bishop Don Magic Wan's mama was very excited, saying, from the time he was five years old, I always knew he was going to be running girls someday. Had girls all around him. So, Sergeant Steve, Snoop Dogg, you can go after. But come on, Bishop Don Magic Wan, the man 
is a pimp icon. Running women, or as he would say, running bitches for all those years. Now I think he's like an ordained minister. I think he kind of discovered religion and has now seen the light, if I'm not mistaken. But in the day... He was big. Did you ever see that documentary, Sergeant Steve? I have not. It's on. You got to see it. I need to. Got to see it. It is. uh, It it really. It's entertaining. They've got some very well-known guys you would recognize, like the late Dennis Huff Mm -hmm. of of the Moonlight Bunny Ranch, who we know. Dennis was in it. But they had a whole bunch of uh, other pimps. They had Rosebud. Let me see. Fillmore Slim, another great well-known pimp. Mel Taylor, Danny Brown, Ken Red, Payroll. I mean, they had a whole bunch. Bishop Don, Magic Juan, and the late Dennis Huff. But certainly an interesting documentary, entertaining to say the least. I would like to see Bishop Don, Magic Juan make an appearance at the NFL halftime show. I think the NFL owners, I can just see all these owners, they would be squirming in their seats. Can, Sergeant Steve, can you imagine most of the NFL owners when the halftime show is playing with Snoop Dogg, Dr. Dre? Who else? Isn't there two other guys? Eminem. Uh, oh, Eminem. That's Kendrick right. Kendrick Lamar. Can you imagine them sitting there saying, what, what, what did he say? What, what did he just talk about? I, I cannot imagine all these white owners in their luxury suites during the halftime show, when the music is going on, and I'm sure they're going to keep it clean, even though there's going to be a seven or ten second delay. But I just can't. Can you can you picture can you picture Paul Brown, the owner of the Bengals, as the as as Eminem is playing, or Snoop Dogg, or Dr. Dre? Can you imagine his reaction? How about Jerry Jones? Jerry Jones. Now, 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 now what? What did that Snoop Doggy say? Not Wolf Wolf. What did he say again? I could just see these guys just looking at each other. I would love to see a camera on these guys because, you know, that would be more entertaining than the halftime show. All right. When we come back, we'll conduct the International Cigar Litation Ceremony, Litation and Libation Ceremony. I had the pleasure of knowing the late, great Avo Uvesian, the man behind the Avo lineup of cigars. And Avo had a great saying. He would tell me, savor every note. Well, one cigar that I can tell you, you will savor every puff, savor every note, is the Avo Heritage. It was developed for the cigar connoisseur seeking a fuller-bodied cigar. Strength, complexity, impeccable smoothness, nice notes of spice. If you are looking for a cigar that delivers... Full-bodied richness, impeccable smoothness, savor every note of the spice-laden Avo heritage. Available at DavidoffGeneva.com. With an unlimited and secure supply of pleasure sticks available for the general to enjoy, it's time for National Cigar Litation Maneuvers. Well, for Super Bowl weekend, I have selected a cigar that Sergeant Steve... We'll be very happy about the Arturo Fuente Hemingway Between the Lines Barber Pole Perfecto. Great looking cigar, tough to get in the $15, $16 category. Five inches in length, 54 ring gauge. Now, Sergeant Steve, you're probably wondering, why did I select a Between the Lines Arturo Fuente Hemingway? Why would that be? Well, think about the Cincinnati Bengals, the Tigers. The Bengal stripes, two colors. I love it. All right, so we've got two different wrappers that are placed on the cigar in a barber pole fashion. Cameroon wrapper, which is the lighter color wrapper. 
and the Connecticut broadleaf, which is a dark wrapper. So it's like the tiger stripes. It's like the Bengal tigers with, with Siegfried and Roy. May they rest in peace. They would be so happy to see a team with tigers as their mascot in the Super Bowl. Cigar-altering and highly sharpened leaf-exposing device. Well, I have to cut the round head of this Arturo Puente Hemingway between the lines. Perfecto. Barber pole. A self-sharpening double-edged stainless steel guillotine ready for action. Maximum BTU flame-throwing and heat-producing apparatus. From the Cigar Dave Ardi Laboratories. The guys wearing the white lab coats and the white pocket protectors. I've got the five-star. Pentagon-shaped design of the butane jets. Five different ranged in a pentagon with five jets to signify my five-star ranking. Nice translucent tank, built-in piercer on the bottom. Very nice looking. In fact, I'm right now at about a third uh, fuel level of the tank. No problem. That will get at least through two, three cigars, so I'm in good shape today. Cigar, Cigar pre-lightation checklist complete. No faults detected. Area clear of all enemies of pleasure. Approval to go throttle up in three, two, one. Beautiful cut. Let me toast the foot of this Arturo Fuente Hemingway between the lines barber pole perfecto. Small perfecto, five inches in length, 54 ring gauge. The Hemingway line, one of the most recognizable lineups of cigars in the cigar world. Why? Because of the unique shape, the perfecto size, how it starts off relatively small at the top, not overly small, but then it flares at the bottom and then tapers right in again. And people think you should cut the bottom at the foot of the cigar where it tapers into a very small little nub. No. Nope, nope, nope. You want just to ignite that. You want combustion and then puff and rotate here. Very different because the foot of the cigar is not totally exposed. You've got to start puffing, rotating, and getting that little nub lit and keep it going so the wrapper starts uh, combustion ahead of the binder and filler. Mmm. Smooth. Here's what's unique. Mmm. Mm-hmm. Does that glow on the foot? Nice even amber glow. The wrapper, as I said, is Cameroon, Connecticut Broadleaf in a barber pole. The filler is all Dominican. Binder, filler from the Dominican Republic. This is a nice medium-bodied cigar. It's not overpowering. But what is unique about the barber pole with the between the lines? That when you're smoking the Cameroon part of the wrapper, as it twirls up, you're going to get some spiciness, a little bit of sweetness a little bit of pepperiness. Then when it goes to the Connecticut Broadleaf, you're going to get massive sweetness. And then it goes back to Cameroon, so on and so forth, as you smoke it. Because again, you've got that barber pole wrapper, probably about three quarters of an inch of each wrapper that twists all the way up. Very, very unique. One of the most sought after cigars in the Hemingway lineup and one of the most difficult to get. Very limited in production, limited number of rollers. If you can find it, get it. The reality is they're almost impossible to find, but I have my connections. That's why I'm the general. Hang on, huh? Excellent. Now, 
I think I need something to accompany this nice medium-bodied cigar. Scotch, bourbon, and beer commence thirst-quenching libationary maneuvers. We were talking about Bishop Don Magiquan, the greatest pimp in American and world history. And you think, what would Bishop Don Magiquan drink? Well, I know what he drank. Corvassier. Do you remember the ladies' man character on Saturday Night Live with Tim Meadows, the ladies' man? I'm going to have me some Corvassier. Yeah, my Corvassier, the ladies' man. Classic. Whenever I think of Cognac, I think of Tim Meadows doing that character, the ladies' man. So I have pulled out a bottle of Corvassier XO. Beautiful-looking bottle, very elegant. And remember when we talk about Cognac, there is VS, very special, VSOP, very special old, uh, old pale, and there is XO. And in order to be called XO, there's a minimum aging. And in this Corvassier XO, the matured eau de vie, which is the, the fermented cognac, the, basically they take wine, uh, grapes from the cognac region and ferment them to create cognac. This is age, the minimum, the minimum maturation of the youngest eau de vie is 11 years and it ranges to 25 years. So very complex, nice rich cognac. Let me pour some in my snifter here. I've got my cognac snifter. Cheers to the ladies, man. Mmm, getting some lovely fruitiness, some citrus orange. Wow, let's say cheers. Take a sip. Mmm, mm-hmm. oh, wow, aromatic. Intense, nice intensity on the on the tongue, on the throat, little warmth. Oh, beautiful. Some nice little notes I'm getting. Take another sip here. Mm. Getting a little raisin, a little orange. Mm. Definitely some of the wood finish of the barrel, but very pleasant. Very, very nice. Not inexpensive. Not inexpensive. You're looking about 160 bucks for a bottle of the Corvassier XO. But it's not the kind of cognac that you'll have every day. You'll bring it out, special occasions, or on occasion. And so for Super Bowl weekend, I pulled it out of the humidor, along with my Arturo Fuente Hemingway Between the Lines barber pole. We're going to pop here. Outstanding. Hmm. Excellent. Now, when we come back, we will pay tribute, we'll pay homage to the hardworking men and women of our neighbors to the north in Canada, eh? Oh, Canada, eh? The Freedom Convoy, the Canadian Freedom Convoy, has been rolling all across Canada. They're on a mission. They're on a mission for freedom. I will have an in-depth discussion on what they stand for, on why the globalists and why the establishment and why the elitists and the ultra-leftists in government are so worried and concerned. I find it amazing 
Karl Marx said, very famous quote, workers of the world unite. You have nothing to lose but your chains. And now when the workers of Canada and the United States and all trucker workers across the world are uniting, now all of a sudden, the libs, the dems, the socialists, the Marxists, they're not so happy. We will discuss that around the corner. Question I receive most from connoisseurs. General, what is the newest cigar that I should try? Easy answer. Right now, it's the Gurkha Revenant. Very unique addition to the Gurkha portfolio. It comes in two different wrappers, a Corojo or a San Andrean Maduro wrapper. But what is unique about the Gurkha Revenant? It uses essentially the same Cameroon binder and some broadleaf in the filler. So you're going to get some unique sweetness. You're going to get some unique spice. The San Andres Maduro wrapper adds more sweetness with a little bit more of a unique complexion, whereas the Corojo, more of a medium-bodied balance smoke. Try one of each. You can't go wrong. The brand-new Gurkha Revenant, available in Corojo and San Andres Maduro wrapper. Visit GurkhaCigars.com. Hmm. Harley and drawing. Arturo Fuente Hemingway between the lines. Now, let's talk about what is taking place in Canada. Along the American border in Ottawa, cities across Canada, that has now gotten all the legislative leaders, the Dems, the Libs, the Socialists, the Marxists, the Globalists, the Elitists, companies all worked up. For the last two years, a small group of government officials, primarily the ultra-liberal Democrats, they have enacted, in many cases, unconstitutional mandates, enacted mask mandates, closed businesses. Essentially, what they did was exceed their constitutional authority. And in the process, they have harmed millions. They've harmed millions of kids, of students, depriving them of a normal childhood, of a normal day at school without having to wear a mask. It has stunted kids' growth. Why? Because many young children that are three, four, five, six, seven years old, they learn about language. They learn social skills through looking at people's faces and their facial expressions. And especially when you're young and you're teaching vocabulary or reading, you can't see someone's mouth behind a mask. And then the isolation. Kids that couldn't have social interaction with other children. They had to learn from home. Learn on a computer screen or an iPad screen. And then businesses were shut down. Entrepreneurs, small business owners had to shut their business, had to lay off their employees, had to still pay rent, had to make ends meet, while big box companies and big box stores, the Costco's, the Walmart's, the Target's, all the big supermarket chains were all open, making money, ringing the cash register hand over fist. And then people weren't able to travel. We saw the airlines shut down, can't travel, hotel hospitality industry was severely affected. We saw so many effects. Now we're seeing a spike in suicides, in undiagnosed health issues. People haven't gone to screenings, haven't seen their doctor. And along the way, 
the only health official that was listened to was, or who, who barked orders that the ultra-liberal leftist Democrat government officials listened to was Anthony Fauci, the Fuhrer, who hasn't seen a real-life patient in 45 years, who is a Washington, D.C. swamp rat bureaucrat, who barks orders, who changes his tune every single time he's on television doing an interview, wear masks, don't wear masks, don't wear masks, wear masks, don't wear one mask, wear three masks, don't wear three, wear two, you name it. The science always changed. The man who says, if you don't follow science, if you don't follow me, you're not following the science. I am science. I represent science. No, you don't. You represent an evil dictatorial element in this current regime, this current government that believes that placing their boot at the neck of Americans is proper, all under the guise of a virus, a pandemic, a man-made virus that we know now has come from the Wuhan Institute of Virology, that Anthony Fauci and the NIH, the National Institutes of Health, funded. They took a harmless bat virus, brought it into a laboratory, manipulated the virus to make it contagious to humans, and now you look at the suffering, the millions and maybe billions of people, not millions, billions of people that have been affected around the world, millions of people that have lost their lives, hundreds of millions that have come down with this virus. And yet, when members of the medical community who are seeing patients on the front line, who are saying, we have therapeutics, we have found that hydroxychloroquine Zinc, ivermectin, vitamin C, vitamin D are all working as long as the virus is treated early. Not wait to treat until a patient is so ill that they require hospitalization and ultimately possibly a trip to the ICU, a stay in the intensive care unit, and possibly death. We shouldn't have 700,000 Americans dead in this country. The reason we do is because the medical industrial complex has refused to follow the science of therapeutics. Because Anthony Fauci and Martha Burke, the, 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 the SCARF, who were part of the Wuhan virus task force under Trump, and now Fauci, the noted, I like how they call him the noted, the number one authority on infectious disease and viruses. Says who? Says Fauci along the way has never once said, how do we treat it? Let's find a standard of care. Fauci never once, never once, called for all the frontline physicians to come into Washington to hold a summit and ask, tell me, how are you treating this? How are you treating this so we can get rid of this virus and make, make sure that those that contract it don't get into the hospital and don't die? How do we do this? Never once did he do that. Never once did he convene a forum of frontline physicians that have been experimenting and finding drugs that have now been repurposed with tremendous efficacy. Not 
once. Instead, he went down the vaccine. We're going to get a vaccine. Now, here's the guy that told us it takes 10 years to determine the safety and efficacy of a vaccine. Now, under President Trump's Operation Warp Speed, he said, we're going to develop. We've got to move quickly. They did. If you listen to Peter Navarro, who was on the task force, the Wuhan virus task force, involved in bringing supply chains back to the United States, involved at every level in the Trump White House. President Trump's, he was the one that sounded the alarm about the Wuhan virus initially, back in January of 2020. He was the guy. All along, he said, the purpose of vaccines were to vaccinate those patients that were immunocompromised or at high risk, the elderly, senior citizens, people that had multiple health issues, comorbidities. Instead, Fauci decided, and the medical industrial complex, that everybody should be vaccinated, saying this is the only way out of it. And we were told that if we take the vaccine, that it is safe. They've done the studies. It is safe. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't given, be given an emergency use authorization if it were not safe. We were told that if you take the vaccine, it will prevent you from getting the Wuhan virus and preventing you from spreading it. Those were lies. I took two vaccines, took the Pfizer, four weeks apart, three weeks apart, whatever it is. I'm not taking a booster. I'm making my own informed decision after looking at the data. We have far more data today than we did a year ago, or even six months ago. And what we're finding now is there are various issues. This could have long-term ramifications that we still today don't know about. We're seeing young kids being admitted to the hospital with inflammation of the heart, pericarditis, myocarditis. Kids, professional athletes, we're finding that there's a tremendous, there have been over 21,000 deaths as of a few weeks ago, reported to the VAERS vaccine reporting system. That's that have been reported. There are others that most likely have not been reported. Here's what I find amazing. When a package of lettuce makes three people sick in an area in the country, there's a nationwide recall. You'll recall, pardon the pun, when romaine lettuce, a number of years ago, there was, there was some issue where there was, I don't know if there, if there was listeria or there was some some organism where they said people are getting sick, we have to take all romaine lettuce off. I remember it was about a month. You couldn't get romaine lettuce. Everything had to be taken off until they identified it. But when these vaccines, when 21,000 people have died as a result of the Wuhan virus vaccines, these mRNA vaccines, and I'm not anti-vax. I took the two vaccines. I will not get the booster. But I've always believed people should have the right to make their own decision. No mandates. So when we've got 21,000 known certified cases of Americans that have died from the Wuhan virus mRNA vaccines, instead of recalling it like they do with romaine lettuce, they mandate you take even more. And you got Fauci now saying, well, we've had the third, we probably need a fourth, and now six-month-old to four- or five-year-olds, they'll be eligible to take the shot. The vaccine is right now, and I've said this ad infinitum, the last umpteen months, 
with the Omicron virus appearing. It is obsolete. It doesn't hit the Omicron virus, which, by the way, is nature's live attenuated vaccine. The virus is mutated to a stage where it doesn't enter your lungs, where it is far less lethal, it is more contagious, but it is less lethal, less damaging. It is a far less virulent strain of the Wuhan virus. Nature's live attenuated virus. And now people, after being locked up for two years, after being mandated and told that if you don't take the vaccine, you will lose your job. Think of the companies, the private companies, that have said to their employees, if you don't take this experimental vaccine, we're firing you. If, if you're a government worker because the president mandated, if you don't take this, you're done. You're out of the military. This is nonsense. People are fed up. People feel as if they have no say anymore. And it's not just about the, the, the American or the Canadian Freedom Convoy is not just about the Wuhan virus. Go back 25 years. The globalists, the Wall Streeters, the Davos crowd, the World Economic Forum Davos crowd, they have all started to destroy the middle class. They went to the middle class and said, we're taking your jobs because they're too expensive, and we're going to move them to the Orient, to Japan, to China, to Vietnam, where we can save a nickel. We're going to move all those jobs across the pond, across the Pacific to the Orient. And you will be happy about it. Because we are the elite, and we are far smarter than you. We went to Ivy League institutions. We went to Oxford. We went to Cambridge. We are far smarter than you are. You will do as we say. You will earn what we tell you to earn. We allow you to earn. And you will be happy about it. And we will install globalist leaders and governments who follow our mantra of globaliz globalization, where wealth will be concentrated to a very small group of corporations, a small group of, 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 of wealthy individuals. And you will show up and do your job as we say, and you will smile and you will be happy about it. As we saw, Cities and towns, not only in the United States, but in Canada, get decimated 25 years ago. Steel mills, car manufacturing, clothing, textile mills, you name it. Manufacturing was decimated in this country. We saw the rise of private equity firms, the Bain Capitals, the Thomas Lee Partners, the Blackstones and Blackrocks go in and, and Apollo Groups and saying, we're going to come in and buy your company. Now, all of you have great jobs, nice benefits, retirement, but that changes. We're not going to buy this company that was a very successful company. We're going to overpay. We're going to load it with debt. We're going to outsource all the jobs and offshore all the jobs. So you are all gone. And by the way, when they can't pay the debt service, two, three, four years later, they throw the company into bankruptcy proceedings. And the workers get screwed, not only a first time, but a second time on their pensions and on their benefits. And this happened over and over. Rinse, repeat. Every time you looked around, a successful company taken over. And then you read a year or two years later, oh, they went Chapter 11. 
wait a minute, they had more business than they know what to do with. Well, they saddled the company up with debt, couldn't pay the debt. But yet, all the private equity companies got their big fees and were able to get their cash out. It's amazing how that works. But who gets screwed at every step? The workers. And so over the last 25 years, you've seen the men and women, the blue collar workers, the people that make this country, Canada, other countries go and work, the people that deliver food to supermarkets, the people that deliver merchandise to Costco and to Walmart that you can purchase, the people that deliver medical supplies, the people that deliver food to restaurants, all those workers have gotten the short end of the stick over the last 25 years. And yet, who keeps getting wealthier? The Davos crowd, the globalists, all those elitists, the Washington swamp rats, the New York elite, the Hollywood liberals, that keep telling you to follow the script, you are getting what you're entitled to, all of us continue to make more, continue to get more. And now, by the way, you people that have just made this country go, we've got to now cut down on climate, global warming and climate change, and we've got to cut down on emissions. You need to keep your air conditioner much, much higher in the summer. And in the winter, you've got to raise your thermostat, or lower your thermostat. And you need to start driving cars that are double the price of a regular good old gas powered engine car. You need to go out and you need to change your windows and change this because you're contributing to global warming and climate change. All along, while these same people that are spouting that bullshit are flying around the world in their private jets, sailing on their private yachts, and still traveling the highways and the streets in their big gas-guzzling SUVs. What's good for the goose is not good for the gander. Do as I say, not as I do. I got a kick out of one of the conferences last summer. I can't remember where it was in Europe. The big climate change conference. And all the world's elitists all flew in on their private jets. And when they were done, where did they end up going for two, three weeks? They went on their private yachts. Bill Gates didn't rent one, didn't take his yacht. He had, I think, two private yachts. One to follow them and another yacht that he was on. But yet, you shouldn't go out and get a little boat or a little wave runner to go out on the lake because that's contributing to global warming and climate change. And so ultimately what has taken place over the last 25 years is a building up of pressure Imagine all the blue-collar workers, all the workers that have played by the rules, that have worked hard, that have sent their, sent their kids to college, that paid their bills, that along the way said, we have to do what's right. We have to be honorable. We have to pay our bills. We have to follow the rules. And they did follow the rules. But along the way, all those people that did follow the rules started to get screwed and get shafted. They lost their jobs, they lost their benefits. Now you've got a Federal Reserve Bank that is essentially printing free money. So if you were a worker that saved your hard-earned money over 30, a 30, 40 year career, 
Now in retirement, you get 0% interest rates. Zero. Your money is essentially worthless in the bank. Yet, the globalists, the Wall Streeters, the elite continue to get wealthier and wealthier. How does that work? I'll tell you how. Because when you have that kind of wealth, you can go to the bank and say, hey, I need a billion dollars because I want to buy, I want to buy whatever. I want to buy these businesses. So you go in or they want to buy real estate or office buildings or, or apartment buildings. They go in and they pay for interest, maybe a point, a point and a half. You can't, you can't go to the bank and get a loan for a one and a half percent interest. No, not even close, but they do. And yet, you look at banks when they advertise their savings rates, 0.03 tenths or three tenths of a percent, 0.3 if you keep your money in 10 years. So all along, this pressure builds, and it's like being in a bottle, a closed bottle, and all this pressure is building. You've played by the rules. Your, 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 your savings now, you can't get any interest on. You see Wall Streeters and the globalists making money. You see your company that you worked for and devoted your life to for 30 years, overtaken by a venture capital or private equity group that within three years destroys it and then comes to you and says, we need you to take a pay cut and your benefits need to chop because we overpaid for the company and we have to pay our debt and we're going to take this into bankruptcy. So you tell me what happens. Over 25 years, when all this pressure builds and builds and builds, and the very government that you believe should be looking out for you is screwing you. They are fucking you. President Clinton, President Bush, President Obama, those three presidents screwed every American worker. President Trump was the first president in I don't know how many decades that came in and said, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, we're putting America first. We're putting our workers first. And I'm sorry, you as a company, if you're outsourcing your products, no, you're not getting all this favorable treatment. We are going to do what's right and good for American citizens first. The globalists didn't like that. The elitists didn't like that. The Wall Streeters didn't like that. The private equity guys didn't like that. And now what we are seeing is a change of power. The power dynamic has now shifted. Because during COVID, during the two, year, two years where everybody was locked down, when the supply chain had to continue to be stocked with food, with important products to fill shelves, now the men and women, the hardworking men and women who are delivering those products, who were working 24 hours, 24-7 to get you those products, who can't work on, behind a computer screen on Zoom or some other electronic con teleconference system, they have to actually show up and drive their rig and unload their rig and load their rig. Now all of a sudden they say, now you want us, even though 80% of Canadian truckers are vaxxed, now you're telling us that we have to get boosted and that there's mandates and that we have to go into quarantine when we come back from the United States and vice versa. Now all of a sudden there is a giant power shift. The blue collar worker, the hardworking man and woman of labor has now risen up. They have risen up and said no more. 
No more. And they are representative of every single worker in this country that has gotten shafted. Not just a trucker, but a guy that's worked in a factory or a guy that's worked for a company that's been taken over, that all of a sudden their benefits get cut. I'll give you a perfect example. Sergeant Steve, you and I, for many years, operated out of... First, it was J-Corps, which is a great company, J-Corps Broadcasting, that was taken over by Clear Channel, which was so-so. They changed the name to iHeart, and it was bought by Thomas Lee Partners and Bain Capital for an insane amount of money. And they saddled it with loads and loads of debt. Sergeant Steve, you, are a, you were a programming executive. Let me ask you, did they ask you once that they, they overpaid within a relatively short amount of time to start cutting your budget? Yes. Did they start telling you to cut employees? Yes. Did they start nickel and diming how they operated the business? Yes. Did they start looking in a short-sighted manner in operating the business instead of the long-term health that the business, the radio broadcasting business, and the company had been operated in years past when it was J-Corp? Yes. People happy working for iHeart no. at that time? No. And today, we look at a company that is a shell, a fragment of itself in an industry that is not only, it's not dying, it's dead. Why do you think we decided we were going to move from terrestrial radio to podcast form? Because the technology changed. We didn't need to wait for one time a week to conduct a show. If we wanted to say something on Tuesday or on Wednesday or on Thursday or on Friday, whatever, we had the ability to do it. If I wanted to go longer than two hours, I have the ability to do it. Technology's changed. I don't need a gatekeeper anymore. They screwed the pooch. So we have seen all these companies screw their workers, and now the power dynamic has shifted. And the truckers don't just represent truckers. They represent all of you. They represent the men and women that make this country and Canada and other countries around the world go. It's not governments that make the country go, that make the country work. It's the governments that steal the hard-earned income of the workers and use that money in wasteful manners and, and ridiculous spending over and over and over. And yet we've got the elected officials in Canada, in the United States, in other countries around the world that are oblivious. They don't understand what's going on. And instead of really looking and talking to the truckers and spending an hour to find out what's really going on, it's almost amazing to me that they're so oblivious of what's really happening. Instead, they say, this is a small cultist group. These are extremists. This is the fringe. These are Nazis. These are our enemies. These are seditionists. These are insurrectionists. No. These are Canadians. These are Americans. These are Europeans. These are Australians. These are New Zealanders. These are people around the world that are fed up with a small elected group of elitists and globalists that have reimagined and transformed their economies and transformed the countries, the respective countries the last two years, to be similar to dictatorial states where you will do as we say, you will do as you're told, and if you don't like it, 
we will then put you in, a, in an internment camp. Oh, you've got the Wuhan virus, you came close to someone, we're going to put you into a camp, an isolation camp for two weeks. The fact that government officials and bureaucrats have not figured this out is the problem in and of itself. So when we see now that after two years of elected officials destroying the economy with lockdowns, with restrictions, and now we see the truckers fighting back and saying, you know what, screw you. You told us how great we were and how appreciative you were during the lockdowns, during the pandemic. What we did, working heroically over two years, same thing to the medical community. To you doctors and nurses, you were heroes to us over two years. But oh, by the way, now if you don't get vaccinated, you are scumbags. You are enemies of the state. You have no right to earn a living and you have no right to your job. Get out. That is precisely what has taken place. They were all clapping and cheering and, and standing up on their bully pulpits, all the politicians saying, these healthcare workers and truckers, they are heroes for what they have done. They have made this country move. They have sacrificed their own health. They're heroes. We owe them a debt of gratitude we can never repay. And, that, and then just a short term time later, a year or two later, that debt of gratitude now is extinguished. There's no gratitude anymore. Now it's do as we say, get a mandated vaccination, or you will lose your livelihood, you will lose your job, you will lose your family. Let's go back to Karl Marx, the patron saint for liberals, for Democrats, for the labor movements. By the way, labor movement, the, the Teamsters. Teamsters should be thrilled. They should say, we are thrilled that our truckers, both union and non-union, are taking a stand against government mandates, against over-controlling government, taking freedoms away from the American and Canadian worker. Instead, the Teamsters are saying, oh, this has got to end. This is unacceptable. The Democrats who loved the fact that labor unions supported them, who were always Joe Biden. Hey, man, I'm labor. I've, I've been labor. I'm a union man. All these politicians, socialists, Marxists, Democrats, liberals, who all stood by and said, we are in the camp of labor because the elitists, the, they're evil. No, they've shifted their tune. The Democrats are now the party of the elite the party of Wall Street, and the party of the Washington Swamp. They're not the party of the worker anymore. And that's one of the reasons why they fear President Trump and the Republican Party as much as they do. Because they know President Trump, for the first time, a politician, not really a politician, he was a business person who became a politician, talked one-on-one -on -one to Americans and said, I'm looking out for you. I care about you. I care about your job, I care about your family, I'm looking out for you. And he did. So when Karl Marx says workers of the world unite, now that they are uniting, the truckers are uniting, now we see politicians, we see Pierre Castro Trudeau. I don't, I don't know if you know this. There are rumors going around that Pierre Trudeau, correction, not Pierre Trudeau, Justin, I call him Justine Trudeau, because he's a pussy beta. But Justin Trudeau, is the illegitimate child of Fidel Castro. Do a search. Fidel Castro, 
Justin Trudeau. Articles will pop up. Take a look at the pictures of a young Fidel Castro and compare them side by side to Justin Trudeau and then look at Justin Trudeau's father, Pierre Trudeau, and you tell me which guy he looks more, who resembles more. So Castro-Trudeau bashing the truckers, saying that they're just a fringe group, they've got swastikas, they've got the Confederate flag. I'm sorry. There were a few people that did that. They were plants. Oldest false flag operation, oldest trick in the book. You look at everybody, all these truckers that even have families there, everyone's saying they're polite as can be. And what really gets Trudeau and all the government workers is the fact that the rest of Canada, the rest of America, the rest of the world, are in the corner of the truckers. What did Canadians do over the last week? When, when truckers needed diesel fuel, they went out and got diesel fuel. They started to bring diesel fuel. There were women. There were families, there were kids that were baking cookies, baking cakes, delivering meals. This is a true expression of not only the truckers, but the entire Canadian population that are saying, we stand with the truckers. We are the truckers. We are with you. And when you bash the truckers, you bash us. So what did Trudeau and what did the Canadian government do? They said, we're going to enact, not even a law, it's not even legal. They said, we are going to take anybody that delivers diesel fuel or fuel or any food or water to the truckers in Ottawa or other parts of Ontario, we will arrest and charge. So what did Canadians do? Did that deter them? Hell no. They came in huge groups. All of a sudden, you started to see groups of 50, 60, 70, 100 people, all with a gas tank, a gas can in each arm, food and water in each arm. The police going to arrest everyone? And the citizens of Canada went to a judge, and the judge ruled that the Ottawa police and the Canadian, the, the Royal Mounted Police, have no right, no jurisdiction to take away any fuel, any food, any water, any sustenance away from being delivered to the truckers. The only thing the judge said is, okay, there's a limit. You can't honk your horn from 10 p.m. to 7 a.m. That's it. A judge sided with the people of Canada, not the bureaucrats, not the dictatorial government officials. And the movement has spread. Detroit, the largest, the number one bridge in terms of commerce between the United States and Canada is the Ambassador Bridge between Windsor, Ontario and Detroit. Over $3 million of trade per day, probably well in excess of that. That bridge was shut down until earlier today. Truckers sat on the bridge and said, we're not going anywhere. The governor of Michigan, Gretchen Cruella DeVille Whitmer, the woman who for two years destroyed the Michigan economy as a result of her draconian lockdowns, destroyed small business, destroyed kids' 
ability to socialize and learn in the classroom. Now she's pissed because it's okay for her to shut things down, but it's not okay for the workers to shut things down. She has now reached across the border into Canada to force her will on the peaceful Canadian truckers and their supporters by saying, telling the Canadians how to deal with the protesters, telling them that what they ought to do is just go after them and start towing. She said, my message is simple. Reopen the traffic on the bridge. And how do you do that? She said, if they don't start moving, then start towing. Gets better. Julie, uh, Juliette Kayam, who is the, a CNN contributor, Harvard professor and Obama's former assistant secretary of Homeland Security for intergovernmental affairs, advocated for violence and property damage against the Freedom Trucker Convoy blocking the Ambassador Bridge. Here's her quote. The convoy protest, applauded by right-wing media as a freedom protest. You see, here's what they're doing. Now they're framing everything that it's always right-wing. It's always a fringe group. It's the ultra-right. Liberals ought to be standing by the truckers. They're the workers. They're fighting for their rights, for freedom. Now, that's something that every, I don't care if you're a Democrat or a Republican, you should stand by, you should absolutely say what the truckers are doing is noble. They are standing for freedom. They're standing for their rights. They're not willing to abdicate their rights. But the left now no longer believes in personal freedoms. They believe in dictatorial mandates because they want to control people. The oldest trick in the book, when you have nothing to sell people, the only thing you do is try to control them. If you try to control your citizens, you have no leg to stand on. Because your, your normal methods of persuasion, whether it's policies or trying to explain your policies, when they don't work and people don't buy them, then you have to resort to dictatorial mandates. And now they're framing this entire, the, the, the libstream media, evil tech, the liberals, the Dems, the socialists, the Marxists, now they are phrasing this as a right-wing protest. It's all the right-wingers. She says, the convoy protest, applauded by right-wing media as a freedom protest, is an economic and security issue now. The Ambassador Bridge link constitutes 28% of annual trade movement between the U.S. and Canada. Slash the tires, empty gas tanks, arrest the drivers, move the trucks. Well, what a brilliant idea. Slash the tires, empty the gas tanks, arrest the drivers, move the trucks. How do you think you're going to move the trucks when you slash the tires and empty the gas tanks? Try finding a tow truck company that will go in and tow any of these trucks. Two, I think the primary firm in, uh, in Ottawa that is, that, that is the number one firm in terms of towing trolls, they came out with a statement saying, first, they said all their drivers were out with, with the Wuhan virus. Then a few days later, they came out saying, yeah, we're not going to interfere in that. We're not going to go in that. We stand with them. We're not going to tow them. 
Not exactly what the government thought. So what are you going to do? You're going to get the, the army out there? You're going to get the army to go against the, their own Canadian people? Can you imagine such an action here in the United States? That would be a declaration of war on your own people. Now, Trudeau said, well, we're not even thinking along those lines. But, of course, you've got other provincial ministers who are saying, bring in the, bring in the military, bring in the Canadian military. That would be an act of war on their own people. If they think they've got a problem now with the truckers, they'd have a humongous problem. You would essentially have a civil war, and you know who's going to win? It's going to be the Canadian people, the Canadian citizens, the truckers, the workers, not the government bureaucrats, not the, the, the Justine Trudeaus. Now, the Freedom Convoy, many of the protesters agreed this morning to allow one lane of access to the Ambassador Bridge because the Canadian government was appearing before a Canadian judge to rule on whether police can remove the demonstrators. Now, if a judge gives grants that order and the police go in, mark my words, the Canadian government, the Canadian police is not ready for the massive nuclear explosion of pent-up frustration and anger that will take place in Canada against the police, the military, the government. Mark my words, it will not be pretty. Now, Tom Friedman, who is an ultra-globalist, leftist, author, columnist, op-ed writer, primarily with the New York Times, big-time globalist. He's the man that said, oh, climate change, we have to address. He, he's an absolute whack, wackadoodle. Married a woman that's very wealthy, definite globalist, definite elitists. I, I believe he lives just outside of Washington, so he's a Washington swamp rat. He had a, an op-ed in the New York Times earlier this week, headline, America 2022, where everyone has rights and no one has responsibilities. And the gist of his opinion piece was delving into the conflict between Neil Young and Joe Rogan over the anti-vaccine propaganda that he says Rogan spreads through his podcast that triggered a heated debate over the boundaries of free speech and whether one entertainer, Neil Young, had the right to tell Spotify to drop another or he'd leave himself. And Friedman says this clash was about something more than free speech. He says, as a journalist who relies on free speech, I would never advocate tossing Rogan off Spotify. But as a citizen, I sure appreciated Young calling him out over the deeper issue, how is it that we have morphed into a country where people claim endless rights while fewer and fewer believe they have any responsibilities? And without getting into the entire synopsis of this article, or the entire a detail of this article. Let me give you a quick synopsis. He basically is saying that because of the pandemic, citizens don't necessarily have rights, but they have responsibilities. Responsibilities for the healthcare workers, for their fellow citizens to get a vaccine and not endanger anyone else so that nurses and doctors don't quit the healthcare profession. And then he goes on to attack Rogan, saying that 
he was spreading vaccine misinformation and that the fact that people's claiming they have rights but don't have responsibilities is unraveling the country today. My question is, it's talking about responsibilities. Where's the responsibility of Fuhrer Fauci, the FDA, the CDC, the medical industrial community to open their eyes to the effective therapeutic treatments that have now been available for well over a year and a half to treat the Wuhan virus? Where are their responsibilities to tell the truth? Where are their responsibilities under the Hippocratic Oath to serve their patients and to keep them out of the hospital? Instead, many physicians, the overwhelming majority of physicians in this country, have been telling patients, citizens who have tested positive for the Wuhan virus to just sit home Drink fluids, take an aspirin, take an Advil, take a Tylenol. If it gets worse, your lips turn blue, go to the hospital, go to the emergency room. That is not the right method to treat the Wuhan virus. And the doctors that have stated that to their patients are complicit in the murder of those patients. And he said that trust is eroding in America. You want to know why that trust is eroding? Exactly what I've been talking about for the last, what, 30 minutes, the fact that Canadians, Americans, citizens around the world don't trust their government because their governments have screwed them for 25 years. And that he says, we as citizens have responsibilities. We don't have rights to tell others what to do. Well, it's in our constitution that we have the right to freedom. And he said that Rogan's spreading disinformation by having Dr. Robert Malone, and he, this is what he says about Malone, who, by the way, is a noted, well-known, well-regarded physician, scientist, academic, researcher. He's got eight patents revolving regarding the mRNA technology. He holds those patents, easy to look up. But Friedman, who doesn't have a medical degree, says that Malone gained fame with discredited claims and completely ignored the foremost important statistical facts about the Wuhan virus. And he goes on to talk about the various responsibilities and so on. Well, here's what's shameful. Pushing vaccines that are now obsolete, that no matter how many boosters one takes, is not effective against the Omicron variant. Here's what's shameful. Hiding the deaths and the side effects of a vaccine over the past year. Here's what's shameful. Continuing to push a vaccine when the Omicron variant is nature's live attenuated vaccine. And here's what's shameful. A medical industrial complex that continues to close their eyes to known medical facts, known research, known studies that have shown numerous therapeutics to be effective in early treatment against the Wuhan virus. I stated, I, I cited one last week, a new study that was been uh, released for those patients that are in the hospital using ivermectin, azithromycin, zinc, vitamin C, vitamin D3. It's all there.
But Thomas Friedman is a typical liberal elitist globalist who believes that you should give up your rights. Now, he won't give up his because, again, he's sitting in the catbird seat. He's one of the elite. He hobnobs with the Obamas, with the Dems, the Libs. He goes to Davos. He hobnobs with the, 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 the globalists. But you, however, you have no rights. You just have responsibilities. He was on CNBC yesterday morning. Got three sound bites I want to play. And the first one is Becky Quick, the co host of the Squawk Box show in the morning on CNBC from 6 to 9 a.m. And she brings up the fact that anger amongst the truckers, anger with the Freedom Convoy, and an erosion of trust. Cut one. You know, The Lancet um, uh, recently came out with a fascinating study. Um, which country in the world did best during the pandemic? It was Vietnam. Vietnam, they have 100 million people, not a particularly strong public health system. But what the study found was that they had a really high level of trust, trust in each other and trust in the government. You know, one of my teachers and friends, Dove Seidman, likes to say trust is the only legal performance-enhancing drug. Trust is the only legal performance-enhancing drug. And if there's one thing that's happened to America, over the last 20 years is a general erosion in trust, people in the government and people in each other. Some of it's because government's gotten a lot of things wrong and experts have gotten things wrong and they deserve to be challenged. Some of it? How about all of it? You name it. From entering wars that we didn't need to get into, from pushing the bullshit climate change, from printing money, free money, and screwing the men and women who are savers, who spent their lifetime working hard and saving. Not some, some of the government can't be trusted. All of these globalists and all of the government. And when we finally had a president that tried to reinstill trust and do what was right, what happened? The liberal media, evil tech, the swamp rats, the bureaucrats turned on him. Because they're living in a very cushy world. They're living in a world where if you're a government bureaucrat, you're getting your salary, you're getting great benefits. It is cushy. If you're a globalist, life is cushy. Because you are able to push countries into getting into excursions if you're in the military-industrial complex where you're getting big checks to, make, to, to, to build bombers and to build weapons and munitions and guidance systems. Life is good for all of you in the swamp, the globalists. And for Thomas Friedman not to even understand that, saying, well, maybe there's an erosion of trust. Maybe some of it is deserved. No, all of it is deserved. Now, we just talked about him saying that the truckers are misplaced in saying they have rights. They, they really have responsibilities. Now, take a listen to this cut. This is Brian Sullivan. I think this is Brian Sullivan, who is uh, co-anchoring this morning in for Joe, uh, Joe Kernan. And he talks about the fact that, hey, we're two years in. I can't remember if this is Becky Quick or Brian Sullivan. But essentially, the discussion revolves around the fact that we're two years into this thing. People are frustrated. It's two years in. Don't these people have some human right to say 
enough is enough. I mean, they're clearly not going to get vaccinated. And by the way, the vaccine, and we don't know if they're all non-vaccinated, by the way, Tom, the vaccination rates are about the same here as they are in many other Western European countries. I mean, there's just going to be a quarter of populations that don't want to do it. I don't think this is a U.S. issue. I, I was not claiming it was a U.S. issue. They absolutely have their rights. Absolutely. I don't dispute that for a second. They also have responsibilities. Also, we're, we're in an epidemic in America, and obviously in Canada as well, where everyone has rights and nobody has responsibilities. They have that right. But what is their responsibility to their family, their neighbors, and to the health workers? Where is the responsibility of the medical industrial complex to prescribe known efficacious therapeutics early on? We would have been out of this pandemic a year and a half ago. But instead, we've got the medical industrial complex. We've got Pfizer, Moderna, phony Fauci. We've got Democrats that have wanted to prolong the pandemic and keep the lockdowns. When we've had all along therapeutics that have worked, Pfizer and Moderna combined are projecting uh, 60 or $70 billion in vaccine, vaccine sales in, in Wuhan virus vaccine revenue for 2022. Why do you think they're continuing to push a third and a fourth booster when we know the Omicron variant is resistant to it? There's no need for it. Because you, they can't afford to have that $60, $70 billion gravy train go bye-bye. Fauci's in on the con. The CDC and FDA are in on the con. The Democrats are in on the con. They're all in on the con. Why? Because there's no money in the therapeutics. Hydroxychloroquine, that's generic. Five bucks for, for a, a, a week dosage, worth of dosage to be used as a therapeutic. Ivermectin, same thing, cost pennies to make. Zinc, vitamin C, vitamin D3, there's no money in that. That's why now you have Pfizer and Merck that are pushing their new supposed therapeutics that have undergone limited testing in only 2,000 people for a very short amount of time, and they're charging 750 bucks for a one-week treatment. So always follow the money. So for Friedman to say that the responsibility is to health workers, to their families, to, to neighbors, the responsibility has been on the medical industrial complex, the medical profession, physicians that have kept the blinders on, the Fauci's, the Burks, that purposely withheld legitimate therapeutics, known information, for the purpose of continuing the lockdowns, continuing control over citizens, and continuing the pandemic. Lastly, Brian Sullivan talks about the fact that he is fully vaxxed and personal choices involving getting vaccinated. And he brings up a very interesting point that, of course, Thomas Friedman isn't necessarily happy about. I'm fully vaccinated, boosted. My, my family is fully vaccinated and boosted. Everybody in my family got COVID over New Year's. Some of my family have had COVID more than once. I'm just going to say die? that. Did any of them no, die? Because, it, because it's a great... Did any of them end up in the hospital? 
Well, so, no, but there you right have now, 52% of people in Massachusetts in the hospital with COVID are fully vaccinated. That's publicly available data. It's a great therapeutic, by the way. It is a great therapeutic, and, and I'm glad I got vaccinated because my symptoms were low. What I'm saying is these are people who are seeing this spread of Omicron and saying, well, all these vaccinated people got it. Now, you're right. It reduces severity. That's the key. That's you know, the key. Where is that government line drawn, though, Tom, between when the government says you have to do something and human choice? Well, again, they, everyone has the right, everyone, they all have their right to do this. I'm simply saying when you don't do it, you massively increase the prospect you're going to end up in a hospital. You massively increase the prospect if you're in the wrong category that you're going to die. And in doing both, um, you know, the latest study shows about two thirds of nurses today are thinking of getting out of the profession. The typical logic that Friedman applies is the fear factor. We know statistically that the death rate, your chance if you contract the Wuhan virus, now the Omicron is, is a far less virulent form, but the Delta variant, if you, if you caught the Delta variant, if you didn't have comorbidities, other health issues, weren't at risk, I think statistically you had a 99.7% chance or 99.8% of surviving it. Now, where are the problems? The problems come in on those people where the virus gets them and goes into their lungs, where it wasn't treated early on, where it lingers. I know I've spoken, I spoke to somebody who was in the hospital. And I said, how long from the time you first had a symptom to the time that you decided to go get tested? And they said, well, it was about a week. And when they tested positive, I said, what did you do? Well, I talked to my physician and they didn't prescribe anything. And of course, three, four days later, it got worse, got into their lungs, had trouble breathing. Then they had to be admitted. Thomas Friedman and every other liberal and globalist and elitist never bring up the fact that, yeah, vaccine, sure, you want to take a vaccine, fine. I took it. I'm not taking it again. Now that we know what we know, no chance. But I find it amazing that even when we know we have therapeutics that work, they're still pushing this vaccine. They're still pushing and, and scaring people. Oh, he didn't die. He didn't end up in the hospital. Folks, Thomas Friedman, pay attention. If in the first three to four days you are diagnosed, the first sign of symptoms, and get a rapid test, and you're, you're diagnosed, you immediately start a protocol of ivermectin, of hydroxychloroquine, of zinc, vitamin C, vitamin D3, doxycycline or azithromycin, chances are you're not going anywhere near a hospital or anywhere near an ICU, but they never want to bring that up. They never want to discuss that. It's always about the vaccine. And he says, oh, you have the right. But if you don't, then you could die, you could this, you could that. This is the flawed logic. Again, they're changing their tune. First, they said you take the vaccine, prevents you from getting it and you from spreading it. Well, we know that's bullshit. We know it's a leaky vaccine. And we also know that this vaccine is obsolete. Let me, let me uh, 
do one other thing here before I, Sergeant Steve, if, instead of taking time out, I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap it up here. I want to just get to this last story here, and then we'll we'll talk about the Super Bowl very quickly. So Thomas Friedman, a typical globalist elitist. Even when you say, hey, people are fed up, people are tired of mandates, it's been two years, he comes back with some bullshit retort because it's all about control. What have we seen with mask mandates in all the Democrat states? Need to wear masks, even though it's come out that the cloth masks that Fauci, Fuhrer Fauci, recommended everyone wear are ineffective. In Florida, we haven't had mask mandates in a year and a half. I haven't worn a mask indoors anywhere for, I'm trying to think, at least a year and a half. Probably the last time I wore it was maybe, well, I can tell you the last time when I was up in New York State, when you had to, actually when I was in New York State, last summer you did not have to wear a mask. There was no mask mandate. So I would say it's probably been a good year and a half since I've worn a mask indoors. Go shopping, go everywhere. I take my daily vitamin D, vitamin C, or vitamin D3, vitamin C, my quercetin, my zinc. I take that every single day. And I also gargle using a combination of 19 parts of water with one part of betadine. Swish it around, gargle multiple times a day, kills the Omicron. That's been shown to be very effective. Knock on wood, haven't had anything. Maybe I was asymptomatic. Actually, my good friend of mine who's a physician said, hey, probably didn't get it, but let's just go ahead and do a, uh, see if you've got the antibodies or see the antigens. I said, sure. So who knows? Maybe along the way I did have it. Maybe I caught it, but because of the regimen that I was on, I was asymptomatic. Who knows? Don't know. But everywhere we've gone, we've seen all these mask mandates. And what do we always hear from the Dems and the Libs? Follow the science. We're following the science. And we're going to keep masks on kids, even though it's detrimental to their safety. It's detrimental to their well-being. It doesn't follow the science, which shows kids have a very low likelihood of coming anywhere near or, or, or having major issues if they contract the virus. And this week, what did we see? We saw the Democrat governor of New Jersey, and now New York, and Massachusetts, and, 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 and Connecticut, all saying, oh, Illinois, we're going to lift the mask mandates. We're going to lift them. There's no need anymore. We're past that point. Did the signs change? No. The politics have changed. When they saw what's taking place north of our border, the, the Canadian Freedom Convoy, which is going to come to the United States and spread around the world, all these Democrat governors and politicians started shaking in their boots because they knew their gig is up, their con job is up, that Americans are fed up. They're not going to take it anymore, and they're done with the mandates, and they're done being locked down, and they're done with businesses destroyed, and they're done having their lives changed 180 from what it was pre-pandemic. And now all of a sudden, the same people the same supposed scientists and experts, talking heads that you hear on BSDNC and CNN and in the New York Times and the Washington Compost, the same people that said that if you're not vaccinated, you shouldn't be able to, uh, to go into a restaurant and you should lose your rights and you should be ostracized. And if you've got family that hasn't gotten the vaccine, you should ostracize them. Don't invite them to Thanksgiving or Christmas. Stay away from them. Well, this week on CNN... Dr. Liana Wen, who was the former 
Democrat-appointed health commissioner of Baltimore, who's now on CNN and uh, consults and, and spreads her bullshit for the last umpteen years. In fact, she was the one that said that if you were not vaccinated, you should not be allowed to travel on an airplane, on any airline in the country. She's a fucking whack job is what she is. Dr. Liana Wen, father's from China originally. Interesting, the fact that he worked for a Chinese uh, paper in Los Angeles that was uh, owned by the Chinese government that pushed their bullshit. So I don't believe anything she says. Who knows if she's uh, got feelings that uh, pro-Chinese Communist Party or not. But earlier this week on CNN, talking about the mask mandates being eliminated and asked if she agreed. Now remember, this is a physician who was pro-mask mandate. In fact, said you should wear two, maybe even three masks. I remember when she said, wearing a third mask is not a bad idea. That if you're not vaccinated, you shouldn't be able to travel. Your family should, you should ostracize those people that aren't vaccinated. Total whack job. But now all of a sudden, that the Democrats, who aren't following the science, but they're following the political tea leaves, have eliminated mass mandates, except for kids and, and, and children in school. The CNN anchor asked if she agreed. Here's what she said. I do. There was a and is a time and place for pandemic restrictions. But when they were put in, it was always with the understanding that they would be removed as soon as we can. And in this case, hold it right there. Hold, hold it right there, Sergeant Steve. She is full of bullshit. The mask mandates were put in to control people's lives. The Democrats looked and said, if we can control them by wearing masks, what else can we control? And the proof is in the pudding. Gavin Newsom, governor of California, mask mandates everywhere, yet pictures of him at the French Laundry upscale restaurant in Napa Valley, laughing, dining with 20-some-odd people, no masks. The same governor who said for the Super Bowl, everybody's got to have masks, mask mandates are still in effect, that last week was spotted at the Rams 49ers game, yucking it up, with Magic Johnson, who has HIV and is immunocompromised, both not wearing masks. And then when pressed on it by a reporter, he said, well, I just took it off for a very short time. I had it in my hand, and then I, I put it back on. But yet, video of him the rest of the game showed that he never put the mask back on. This has nothing to do with science. This has nothing to do with transmission of the virus. This is all about control. If they can force you to wear masks, what else can they force you to do? All right, let's continue. Hit it. Circumstances have changed. Case counts are declining. Also, the science has changed. We know that vaccines protect very well against Omicron, which is the dominant variant. Stop it right Everyone there. The science hasn't changed. The politics. She says it works against Omicron. She is blatantly lying. And the reason we know that is because the mRNA Pfizer and Moderna vaccines were created to attack the spike proteins of the initial alpha variant. And the delta variant shared much similarity, so therefore it did work on the delta variant in addition to the alpha variant. But the Omicron spike protein is totally different, not even close. 
Why is it that we're seeing all these people that are vaccinated and boosted come down with the Wuhan virus? Because they have the Omicron variant. And the Omicron variant is not susceptible to the same mRNA spike proteins uh, basically finding when you're infected the mRNA vaccine, it looks for the, the, the spike, it rec- your immune system recognizes the spike protein and hits it. Omicron is a different spike protein, night and day. That's why it is not effective. Very simple. Continue. Have an older have widespread access to vaccines. And we also know about one-way masking, the idea that even if other people around you are not wearing masks, if you wear a high-quality mask, that also protects you, the wearer, too. And so in this case, I'm not saying, I don't think anyone really is saying that no one should ever wear masks, but rather that the responsibility should shift from a government mandate imposed from the state or the local district of the school. Rather, it should shift to an individual responsibility by the family. Who can still hit it? Stop right there. This is the same woman, same physician that said it's not about personal responsibility. It's about enacting a, a mandate and that if you're not vaccinated, you shouldn't be able to travel and function normally in society. That's what she said. But now all of a sudden, when the Democrats are coming out, reading the political tea leaves, seeing what's going on with the Canadian Freedom Convoy and sensing that people are pissed and are rate, seeing that Biden's poll numbers have dropped, the Democrats' poll numbers have dropped, knowing they're going to get their asses handed to them in the November election, all of a sudden, no, the science has changed. When Trump or any Republican or Governor DeSantis said, look, we're eliminating mask mandates, we're getting back to our lives, masking doesn't work, that's the science, it's shown it, we're getting back. What did they say? Oh, he's making this all about politics. He's not following the science. Now, when a Democrat follows politics, what are the liberal commentators and physicians and the libstream media, what do they all say? What's their rallying cry? Oh, these governors are now following the science. It is amazing how hypocritical they are. They are all so full of BS. It is overwhelming. Continue what Leanna Wen has to say. That their child can wear a mask if needed. Um, you know, take New Jersey, the case in New Jersey, for instance, their new case average is just over 4,000. Um, is that an acceptable number to do this, or, or, or are they projecting out to March 7th at this point? I don't think we should be looking at case counts at all at this point, especially Stop. when we're dealing Wait a minute. Not look at case counts? What did we hear for the last two years? Every time another mandate, another lockdown, more masking was was enacted. Oh, we've got to look at the case counts. Look at the cases. Look at the hospitalizations. The cases, the positivity rate is through the roof. It's 8%. It's 10%. That's all we heard were case counts. The positivity rate. That's all we heard. But yet now, don't look at the case counts. Isn't it amazing how things change? when the Democrats who are in power realize that they're about to get their asses handed to them in the November election. And now they have all their, the Leanna Wens and all the other liberal pundits who are carrying water for them, backing them up, saying, oh, forget the case counts, and they're following the science. We don't need masks anymore. Unbelievable. 
When DeSantis or Republican governors, Abbott of Texas, or any other Republican governor said, now we're not doing mask mandates, we're opening our economy, they were evil, they were killing people, they said, look at the case counts, look at the positivity rate, look at the hospitalizations, everything's going to hell, they're killing people, they're killing their citizens. But now all of a sudden, when the Democrats change their tune, all is hunky-dory. Continue, Sergeant Steve with a milder variant and when so many people were exposed to Omicron and therefore have ha have at least some level of protection either through vaccination or immunity. The key number that we should be looking at is hospitalizations. If our ICUs and hospitals in that particular region are not overwhelmed, if they're not over capacity, we can set a number, for example, 75% or 80% full, then we should be able to relax all restrictions. And I actually believe that we should be starting to, with the first restriction removed, should actually be the restriction on children. Because while for adults, you could say, well, what's the harm of adults masking when they go into a grocery store? There actually is a harm that we should be discussing of children continuing to mask. That doesn't mean that masking doesn't have its place for children when there are very high rates of hospitalization. If we get a new variant in the future that children are particularly susceptible to, we may want to bring masks back. But we should also be intellectually honest and say that masking has had a cost, especially for the youngest learners, in, uh, people with English as a second language, children with learning disabilities, there has been a cost to them. So the risk benefit calculation has really changed. Sweetheart, you haven't been, been intellectually honest since the day you appeared on CNN a year and a half ago. You have been nothing but intellectually dishonest. Now you've changed your tune on kids wearing masks. Oh, the harm that's been done. They shouldn't have them. Three months ago, two months ago, oh, kids need to mask up. We need to prevent spreading in classrooms, in schools. This broad has changed her tune 180. And what do you know? Every other lib and every other Dem pundit or physician or supposed expert who is a Democrat, liberal, socialist, or Marxist, they're all carrying water for their Dem governors, their Dem elected officials, who for two years have stated, oh, we can't remove the mask mandate. We have to lock down things. We have to close things. No, this is for people's own benefit. We have to follow the science. Oh, the case positivity rate is high. Everybody's got to be locked down again. But now all of a sudden, when the Democrats look to the North, see the Canadian Freedom Convoy, and they see the poll numbers, and they see the fact that Florida and Texas and Georgia and South Carolina and all those other states that have Republican governors that have done just fine, whose economies are booming. Now, all of a sudden, these experts are changing their tune, and the Demeters, D Democrat governors have all awoken. No more masking. Of course, they're still calling for masking in the schools. I never believed any of these supposed experts two years ago. I didn't believe them a year ago. I didn't believe them a month ago. I don't believe them a week ago. I don't believe them today. They're all full of bullshit. Every one of them. They will change their narrative based upon the political wins. The moral of the story, Americans, Canadians, Freedom-loving people of the world are fed up. This isn't just a one-year or two-year issue. This goes back 20 to 25 years. What is happening in Canada is spreading to the rest of the world. The globalists now are on alert. 
The Wall Streeters are on alert. The climate changers are on alert. We are on to your con job. We are done. We're not listening to you and to the Democrats, the liberals, the socialists, the Marxists that believe that they have the divine right to take away individuals' freedoms, that gig is up. It's over. The power now is being displayed by the people, by the truckers, by the Canadian families, by the Canadian mothers, by Americans. We're seeing it all over. And I'm telling you, it's going to happen in Australia, New Zealand, the rest of the world. If you think this is going away, if you think that Trudeau sending in the military or the police to move these trucks is going to solve things, forget it. No chance. The only thing that's going to solve it is when the government folds and Trudeau says, that's it. No more mandates. And Trudeau is out of office. This isn't stopping. $9 million or $10 million donated to a UFundMe account, GoFundMe account, until GoFundMe decided, the Canadian government put heat on them and said, yeah, okay, we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to distribute it to other charities. And then they finally acquiesced when the threat of attorneys general and governors said, no, we're going to launch an investigation and we're going to go after GoFundMe. Then they said, okay, we're going to refund everybody's money. Now there's another platform that's already raised, I think, $5 million in three or four days that is the competitor to GoFundMe. Canadian government went to court, said, nope, you can't distribute this money. The company that's the platform, which escapes me. Sergeant Steve, do you remember the name of that platform? I don't off the top of my head. I can look it up. Yeah, see if you can look it up. It's not GoFundMe. It's it's something we, we fund you, we get, something along those lines. Canadian government said, they went to court, and the court said, nope, you, you can't distribute that. And the company said, well, we're an American company. We're not subject to jurisdiction in Canada, and we are going to get that money into the right people's hands. Evil tech, Libstream Media, the medical industrial complex, they have all conspired, globalists, climate changers, they've all conspired to work against the common citizen. Give, send, Mr. Go. and Mrs. Work, hardworking American or Canadian. The gig is up. Give, send, this ain't go going away. The, the power has always belonged to the people. Governments have taken it. Bureaucrats have taken it over the last 20, 25 years. But now the citizens, the workers are reclaiming their rights, their freedom, and their power. This is a major shift. Remember what happened in Poland. Lech Walesa, communist government, who led the labor movement and overthrew the communist government. Lech Walesa became the president of Poland for a, a, a several terms. Same thing is happening in Canada. It will spread to the United States. The era of the working man and woman is back. The era of the globalist, the Wall Streeter, the climate changer, the elitist, the swamp rat is coming to a rapid end. All right, lastly. Tell you what, Sergeant Steve, let's take a short time out, and then I want to wrap it up because I want to get your prediction on the big game, the Super Bowl game. So final concluding segment of this extended edition of the Cigar Dave Show is next.
I had the pleasure of knowing the late, great Avo Uvesian, the man behind the Avo lineup of cigars. And Avo had a great saying. He would tell me, savor every note. Well, one cigar that I can tell you, you will savor every puff, savor every note, is the Avo Heritage. It was developed for the cigar connoisseur seeking a fuller-bodied cigar. Strength, complexity, impeccable smoothness, nice notes of spice. If you are looking for a cigar that delivers full-bodied richness, impeccable smoothness, savor every note of the spice-laden Avo heritage. Available at DavidoffGeneva.com. Be sure to subscribe to our brother podcast, Bold Alpha, where we talk the alpha male lifestyle, including cigars, libations, technology, grilling, politics, and more. Search Bold Alpha anywhere you listen to podcasts and hit subscribe. Question I receive most from connoisseurs. General, what is the newest cigar that I should try? Easy answer. Right now, it's the Gurkha Revenant. Very unique addition to the Gurkha portfolio. It comes in two different wrappers, a Corojo or a San Andrean Maduro wrapper. But what is unique about the Gurkha Revenant? It uses essentially the same Cameroon binder and some broadleaf in the filler. So you're going to get some unique sweetness. You're going to get some unique spice. The San Andres Maduro wrapper adds more sweetness with a little bit more of a unique complexion, whereas the Corojo, more of a medium-bodied balance smoke. Try one of each. You can't go wrong. The brand-new Gurkha Revenant, available in Corojo and San Andres Maduro wrapper. Visit GurkhaCigars.com. Sergeant Steve has just informed me the name of the uh, GoFundMe alternative is Give, Send, Go. And I applaud them for standing up to the Canadian government, the Canadian bureaucrats, to say we're not subject to your jurisdiction. So any monies donated is going to get into the hands of the truckers who are participating in the Canadian Freedom Convoy. Let me just say that this American has never been more proud of our Canadian neighbors to the north. Canadians, let's face it, I've got Canadian relatives, know plenty of Canadians, living in Buffalo, growing up in Buffalo, two-minute drive to Canada. I've known many Canadians. Canadians have had the stigma, rightfully so, of being a little bit passive. If you say good morning to a Canadian, they'll apologize for it. You'll say, hey, good morning. Oh, I'm sorry, yeah, good morning, yes. They, they, they're apologizing for something. You talk to a Canadian, they're always apologizing. I don't know why, but now they have grown a backbone. They have gotten a spine. The Canadian citizens, we stand with you. We stand with not a vocal minority, not an extremist minority, according to Trudeau. This is the vocal majority. The overwhelming majority of Canadians support the, the Canadian Freedom Convoy. I support the Canadian Freedom Convoy. I support an American Freedom Convoy. I support freedom. I support our neighbors to the north. Have never been more proud. Stand strong. Stand firm like a mighty oak in gale force winds going against the evil Trudeau government, the liberals, the bureaucrats. Stand firm. You shall win. You shall overcome. You shall be victorious. And this American is proud to stand shoulder to shoulder with our Canadian trucker brothers and sisters. All right, lastly, Super Bowl Sunday, 6.30 kickoff, Sergeant Steve, you are a big Bengals fan, grew up in Cincinnati. Now, never mind the fact that my bills should have been in there, and I still have not gotten over that terrible 13 seconds 
that the coaching staff and Sean McChoke uh, coached. Worst 13 seconds of coaching I think I've ever seen. Uh, however, your Bengals have gone to the or in the Super Bowl against the Los Angeles Ramulans. So what is your prediction? 23 to 21. Money Mac, Evan McPherson, a field goal in the final minute to win it for the Bengals. Now, on one hand, I look at Joe Burrow. He's a cigar connoisseur, so you got to like that. He's won in big games, so national championship, he's unfazed. I don't think he'll be nervous. He's been big in, in, in big settings. I mean, let's face it. You play the SEC, whether an SEC championship or you play in a college football championship, that is the big stage. So it's not too big for him. And clearly they have the weapons. The question is, can the offensive line hold up against the mighty defensive line of the Los Angeles Ramulans? That is the question. By the way, did you know that Rams are short for Ramulans? I did know that. Yeah, that actually it's from a Star Trek. They were named after a Star Trek, uh, some character, uh, so, some outer space character in Star Trek. I had a friend of mine say, what, what are Rams short? And I said, I don't know, what, Ramulans, Ramulinians? So I call them the Ramulans now. But I think the, I think it's going to be a close game. I do not see a blowout anyway, both either for the Rams or for the Bengals. But I think at the end of the day, the defensive line of the Ramulans, Aaron Donald, and uh, who's the other? Yeah, Leonard um, Floyd and Von Miller. Von Miller, that's what I'm thinking about. I think they could be two. T- what I saw in that Tennessee Titans game with nine sacks, mm-hmm. that would be a concern. So it's going to be a toughie. But you can but run I on think, that Rams team. What's that? You can run on the Rams. And Joe, if Joe Mixon can run the ball. You can run on the Rams. I, I, I'm, I'm, yeah, you You've can. You've got to avoid the that, third and long. You've got to, you've got to get positive yards on first and second down. Avoid that third and long to negate that pass rush. Yeah, and, and i got to tell you, Matthew Stafford has surprised me. I, the guy does have an mm-hmm. arm. He's got some weapons. Odell Beckham, i got to tell you, I, surprised me. I thought mm-hmm. he was going to be a head case. He's turned out to be a model citizen with the Rams. So I believe it's going to be higher scoring than 23-21. I believe it's going to be much higher scoring than that. I think we're going to be looking, I'm going to say, 31-28 Rams. Okay. Or, or I, yeah, I think it's going to be 31-28 Rams. I think it's going to be close no matter what. I, I agree it could come down to the last minute or so. I just don't see a blowout in this game either way. Uh, so it could be both ways. could go for the Bengals. I know you are rooting for the Bengals. I am agnostic since my Bills are not in it. So I still haven't determined if I will watch the game. I probably will, although the pain will still be palpable. But uh, I think it's going to be a good game no matter what. And, uh, hmm. Yeah, I, I think this could. I think the line could change uh, up until the end. I, I just. I think it's going to be a very tight game. And uh, here's the, the the final determinant. Didn't you tell me that one of the Bengals stated they would take a bath in Skyline Chili if they won? C.J. Uzama said that the tight end. Yes. Yeah, I think that would almost be worth it to see them win. <laughs> uh, you know, in the spaghetti, in the chili, in the cheese, in the onions. I don't know. I think that would probably worth uh, the price. Actually, instead of a Gatorade bucket, they should have a Skyline Chili bucket I love in the it. event the Bengals win. I love it.
Yeah, exactly. And by the way, when the Bills get there, it's a bucket of wings, man. It's a Gatorade <laughs> bucket of wings. That would be that would be what I would throw. So we'll see what happens. Your prediction, 23-21 Bengals. I say 31-28 Rams. Either way, I think it's going to be a close game. And uh, are you ready with super snacks? Are you going to have Skyline Chili imported? Uh, yes, absolutely we are. All right. I can tell you, Sergeant Steve, I will not. There will be no Skyline Chili served, although... Well, you have Montgomery and ribs, though, brought in. Uh, I will... I will smoke some ribs with Montgomery in sauce, and I have three bottles. Do you still have your bottle left? I do, yes. Okay, good. So you can still slather some of those yep. on uh, whatever you want because, as we know, Montgomery Inn, one of the greatest rib joints in the world, no question about it. Um, I'm going to have smoked – got some ribs, so I'll probably smoke some ribs with the Montgomery Inn uh, sauce, and I have some chicken wings that I'm going to smoke as well and then finish off on the grill. So that will be my, uh, my super snacks for Super Bowl. I think I'm not in the mood to do a brisket. And when you think about L.A., there's really no – it's not like Buffalo where you say, okay, Buffalo, beef on weck, wings. Cincinnati, Montgomery and ribs, Skyline Chili. L.A. has nothing. I mean, tacos, eh. There's really no food synonymous with L.A. There isn't. Tofu? There isn't. Yeah, well, that maybe. I mean, maybe. <laughs> Tofu burgers. Kale. There you go. That's it. And tofu is not anywhere within the Pleasure Palace compound. Not today, not tomorrow, not ever. Same thing with the Sergeant Steve compound as well. So, Super Bowl, good luck, Steve, on Sunday with your Bengals. We'll see what happens. We will wrap things up right now. Went a little bit longer than we anticipated, but... When there are important issues, we are not afraid to discuss them. So let me leave you by saying, Cigar Dave the General, may your humidor always be full, may your cutter always be sharp, may your ash be extra, extra long, semper delectation. Always pleasure, long live the alpha, make masculinity great again, screw the enemies of pleasure, and stand tall with the Canadian Freedom Convoy. Your American brethren stand shoulder to shoulder with you, defeat the enemy bureaucrats, and stand for freedom.